Well, good morning, church. Man, I tell you, um, Peter writes in his first letter uh, to the churches, uh, in the introduction of that letter, he he writes, uh, we have been born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That is a super big deal, isn't it? That our hope is not in a religious experience. Our hope is not in a moral code. Our hope is not in a communal reality. Our hope is in a living king who is with us by his word and through his spirit. That's a really big deal. And so when we say we place our hope in Jesus and we follow him and we trust his ways, we are not talking about a religion. We are talking about a king. And that is awesome. And I am excited. So uh, my wife and I and, and Cole uh, just got back from uh, our summer vacation that we take. And uh, as uh, is always the case, it seems, uh, God has been gracious over many years now during that time away to stir things uh, in me and for me and for us uh, during that time. Um, and on this particular vacation, uh, God used a mango tree. Uh, he used a podcast um, about Eugene Peterson, and he used a pig roast uh, to speak. And so uh, we get to explore uh, on the return from vacation a little uh, of God's journey uh, as he speaks and unfolds his way in me and shows me the things sometimes for me, sometimes for us. Uh, And so to fully grasp uh, the realities of what God showed me on this particular vacation, it really does begin with a mango tree. Uh, So uh, I mentioned this before a couple of years ago. Here and there, I've sprinkled my mango tree in, but I I have a mango tree uh, in our backyard. um, And for whatever reason, God has seemed uh, to use this uh, seemingly silly mango tree uh, to, on multiple occasions, uh, speak to the journey that I am on in my journey with him and as I encounter life. And so this little mango tree... Um, uh, When I got the mango tree, it was uh, seven or eight years ago, uh, and I bought the mango tree, and it was super, super duper little. Uh, It was about this tall. Uh, It it had, uh, uh, its trunk was so narrow that if if you didn't plant it carefully, you could break it. Uh, So I'm a very fragile little tree. And I was so excited because I do love mangoes. I do love mangoes. And um, I wanted a mango tree so that I could enjoy Mangoes, that's right. I, the, the tree isn't the point. The, the mangoes are the point, right? Um, and so when I bought the tree, the, the guy that sold me the tree said, just so you know, uh, this tree will require four-ish years of growth before it'll produce its first fruit. That was not exciting to me. I was like, yeah, when does the first mango show up that I can enjoy? And he's like, four years from now. And so uh, I was tempted to buy a big mango tree so that I could have mangoes that year, but both the price deterrent of the large tree uh, and my wife's wisdom in that price deterrent um, caused me to move to the small tree, despite the, the reality of four years. So we planted the tree. They said, plant the tree somewhere where it's got lots of room to grow because this thing will grow very large. And you know, you always have in your mind of what very large is, and it's about like this. Uh, This is not what very large is, by the way. So I did um, plant it in a place where 
it had lots of room. And I'm not even kidding. Now, after almost eight years, uh, there's an oak tree next to my man- mango tree, a giant oak. And I'm telling you, this mango tree is going gonna, is gonna to outshoot it at the top end. Like, it's not a small tree. It's really big. So planted the mango tree uh, and, and, and waited the four years, you know, watered the tree, did the stuff. And uh, after four years of that mango tree being planted, it produced its first mangoes. This was uh, about three years ago. And it was so exciting. Uh, the, the mangoes were on the tree. They came out. There weren't many of them, under 20 mangoes. I remember because uh, uh, some of my kids decided that they also enjoy mangoes and took some of those mangoes and it was noticeable when they took them. Uh, that did not go so well. Um, and so uh, there wasn't a lot of mangoes, and, uh, but it produced them. And I will tell you, the, legitimately, uh, the very best mangoes I have ever eaten in my life are off of this tree. I don't know whether it's just God's graciousness or a particular type of tree, but man, these mangoes, no stringiness. It's like, it's like drinking mango juice when you eat these mangoes. It's, they're unbelievable. Uh, and they're large. In fact, um, my mango tree this morning, I went and pulled this mango off my mango tree. It'll now sit for three to four days in orange, and then I will enjoy this mango. I will enjoy this mango. I'm not giving it to anyone. Don't ask. Because, uh, not because I don't care about you, but because it would be unfair to give it to one of you and not all of you. And so I will just go ahead and enjoy it. Um, But this, uh, believe it or not, is a small mango off my tree. Uh, I picked a small one. They they, they get much larger than this, and there are several large ones. And so um, that that first year, I pulled the mangoes off. I I ate them, and they were glorious. Uh, And I couldn't wait for the next year because now the mango tree will produce more and more mangoes each year because it's getting bigger and bigger. So the next year came around um, and there was a freeze uh, in Florida as there typically is and the mango tree did fine. I didn't think anything happened. It browned a little bit. But that particular year, uh, it, uh, it, it, it produced, um, it was gonna produce some mangoes, but it never did. It just never produced any mangoes. And I was deeply disappointed. I'm like, the, the tree, second year now, lots of mangoes, so excited, and no mangoes. But I made the assumption that it was the external forces of the weather that caused the tree not to be able to produce mangoes that year. So uh, we waited the next year, and, and this is now two year, a year ago. Uh, I'm waiting for the mango, and, and guess what? Fruit starts appearing on the tree, little teeny mangoes. And I was so excited, so many mangoes. There were lots of them, and I'm like, oh my gosh, the blossoms turned into mangoes. It was awesome. And then when all the mangoes were about this size, like little baby mangoes, literally over a period of 24 hours, the tree dropped all of them. Like when I say dropped, I mean they fell off the tree, landed on the ground, and rotted. They were little teeny mangoes, not ripe. My, like, I, it, was, it was one of the more devastating moments of my life, coming out and just seeing all my beautiful mangoes on the ground dying slowly. It wasn't really most devastating in my life, but it was certainly a devastating moment. And I couldn't figure it out. And so uh, we contacted a uh, local tree expert, uh, fruit tree expert, and I, I remember the first conversation I had with him about the mango tree, because I'm like, I just don't get it. Last year, no mangoes. This year, mangoes, and it drops all the mangoes. And he says, well, the, the only reason a tree would drop its mangoes is that it doesn't have enough nutrients in its, uh, in, in its branches uh, to feed that fruit. And trees are smart. They know what they cannot produce. And so uh, if it dropped all of the mangoes, it means that your tree has very little nutrients. And then he started down this list. Have you done? And he, have you done this? Did you do this? Did you do this in February and this in March and this in April and this in May and this in June? And, this? and I'm like, what? 
Like the Bible says, plant the seed, water, fruit. That's what I did. It was like, yeah, the Bible also says long labor, lots of other things. And so there was this whole list. He sent it to me. Uh, it, it tells you every month what you should do. And let me tell you, just FYI, it's a lot of work. Okay, I want to show you something again. Okay, this mango is $387 right there. Okay, because if you take the labor, the work, and the nutrients and the stuff I have to put on that tree, it's the most expensive mango you will ever eat in your entire life. If you ever grow fruit to say, I want to save the money from the grocery store, buy it from the grocery store. I don't know how they make it that cheap. It's unbelievable because it's a lot of work, a lot of expense, a lot of trouble. But um, this last year, I did that. I, did, I, I, I followed that list. Brooke would say not perfectly, but, but well enough. I mean, I just followed the list and uh, it's fertilized when necessary, mulched when necessary, took care of the tree, covered the tree uh, when, whenever things happen. And lo and behold, lo and behold, uh, early on in the spring, uh, it started producing these little mangoes. And I was nervous. I'm like, it's going to drop the mangoes. Please don't drop the mangoes. I would go out every, every day or two and be like, oh my gosh, the mangoes are still on the tree. And then they started growing beyond and got bigger. And it was incredible. And this year, the mangoes on the tree uh, were and are awesome. Great thing about a mango tree uh, is unlike other fruit trees, the mangoes don't ripen on the tree. So they just kind of keep growing. And when you pick them off the tree over a couple of days, they ripen. So what that means is you can pick one or two mangoes off the tree, enjoy them, then go back. It's like the tree holds its mangoes for you and says, just have one or two at a time, enjoy them. Now other fruit trees give you all their fruit at once, otherwise they rot and die. And you're like, I can't eat that many peaches. But mangoes are not like that. Mangoes are like, here, here, take one because they're so special that you should enjoy them one at a time. It's like the tree knows that. Like God was like, this tree's gonna give you one or two mangoes at a time, enjoy. And so the timing of the mango tree's fruiting uh, is odd. Uh, it's happened every year that it did produce fruit, this year included. The, the fruit seems almost ready right at the time I leave for vacation. So it's like really infuriating because you're like, just, just a week or two more and I can enjoy the mango, but I'm gonna be gone for three weeks. Can't you just let? So what I did is right before we left for vacation, I pulled one mango off a little prematurely, but not too much. It was the largest one. And I took it with me on vacation to let it ripen and enjoy it on vacation. So when I returned, I'll tell you something. Uh, about this year's fruitfulness on the mango trees. Really awesome. So Mahari, one of my boys stayed home uh, this summer because he's, he's running like 80 miles uh, a week for cross country for uh, college in the fall and he's got a job and he's got stuff going on. So he stayed to take care of the house. And when we arrived back, uh, to the house, um, there's still tons of mango on the tree, uh, and I'm talking to Mahadi, and, and he's eating some grapes at lunch while I'm, I'm, I'm cutting up a mango, and I'm like, do you want some mango? And he's like, oh, I'm tired of the mangoes. I'm like, well, he loves mangoes. I'm like, what are you talking about? He goes, I've, I've had a mango almost every day since you left. And I'm like, you know how good this tree is this year? You know how much fruit's on this tree this year? That Mahadi got tired of how good the mangoes were. He was like, I've had enough great mangoes for a lifetime. I was like, how awesome is that that I have a tree that produces so much that you get tired of its goodness? <sighs> Sorry, that was just, it's a beautiful moment for me. <laughs> and so um, the, the uh, arriving back to this tree uh, full of fruit and taking one of the fruit with me and enjoying that, I did enjoy the fruit um, at a table with some friends uh, on our vacation. Um, I was sad because I had to share um, I, I, and I did share, just so you guys know, it was a big moment for me. Uh, and I kind of passed the mango around. And I just want you to know that every person that ate of that mango, this is what they said, this is the best. 
best mango I have ever eaten. So it's not just my opinion. It is the opinion of important friends at a table on vacation uh, that this is, these are the best mangoes ever. So we leave on vacation with the mango tree just showing its fruit ready. And, and I will tell you the timing of whatever God's choice is that this mango tree would literally be ready as we leave on vacation is not lost on me. Because this particular vacation, God used that to speak. So this vacation was um, different than ones in the past. Uh, progressively, as we've gone on vacation, it makes sense. We've taken less and less of our eight kids with us uh, because they have grown and, and moved and gone places. But we still had a bunch of them, right? But this year was uniquely different in two ways. One... We only took one of our kids on vacation with us. My 16-year-old Cole, the lone ranger now uh, in the car, I'm sure he's thrilled. He's like, shoot, now all the attention is on me. That is not a win, right? Um, and so uh, we, we, I, I didn't take the big sprinter that has a governor on it that slows me down. I got to take my sister's minivan. Only reason we even took a minivan is because on the way back, I had to pick up some stuff from Hadley in Dallas, Texas. Otherwise, I would have taken one of those four-door cars, you know, with a little seat in the back that only four humans sit in. That one. I could have even taken that this vacation. Only three of us. But not only did we, did we only take one kid with us on vacation, what made this vacation profoundly different was that instead of taking our kids with us on vacation, we went to where they were. So here's what I mean. Uh, the first part of our vacation uh, in the summer is we go to Kanaka camps, to the family camp there. I have the opportunity and privilege to speak there uh, for the week, and then we get to enjoy that camp. Uh, and Rahel, uh, one of my daughters who just graduated high school, this summer she spent five weeks working uh, at Kanaka camps in the kitchen as a kitchi. In fact, she arrived back last night at like 1.30 in the morning. Uh, so she's been there for the five weeks. She was there two weeks before we went for our week. And in the kitchen there, the kitchies, they're a super big deal, right? It's not just that they work in the kitchen. They are the hosts. They are the servers. Uh, they do all these different things. They do dances and songs whenever someone's birthday is happening. They run around with a bowl of ice cream and sing a birthday song and dart around people. And, and we got to go to Kennecook this year and join Rahel in her world, in her element. And, and that was Rahel's element. I mean, a new set of brand new humans every week to show up for her to get to know. Rahel makes extroverts look like introverts. And so Rahel just gets along with everybody all the time. And so being there, watching her do her thing and dancing and running and, and, and full of energy. And then the people would come. The people would come. No, you Rahel's dad. That's funny how that transitions. And I no longer have a name. I am the dad of some other important person. And so I'm like, yep. And they're like, oh my gosh, she's unbelievable. And I'm like, I know. And so we got to kind of enter her world and see that and watch her just be who God has made her to be in that space. And then we left from Kennecook and we drove to Colorado. Uh, we went to Denver and Cullen, one of my sons, uh, flew to Denver with Nick who plays drums here. The two of them came out uh, to spend a week with us in Denver. So my son who's in St. Augustine building race cars, he flies out and joins us for part of the vacation. Uh, not because he necessarily necessarily is joining us, though he did, and we had a great time, but because it's Colorado, and he loves to hike and do all that, and so he's like, I'll come. He was the sous chef at a dude ranch out in Colorado last summer and the summer before, so he came out to join us uh, and to visit with those folks, and my daughter, Hope, 
is now the baker at that same dude ranch. So she uh, bakes uh, all of their pastries in the morning uh, for, the, for the guests and then all of the cookies for the afternoon and all the special desserts at night for the, for the incredible meals. And the chef that's there, uh, she works with them. So we got to go and visit with Hope for the week. And Hope was very busy, like Rahel, both of them very busy. So we kind of got to, you know that thing where you're like, you want to hang out with your kids? But they're like, sorry, busy. Uh, and, and they want to hang out with you, but they're really busy. So we got to steal bits of time here, but what we got to do is watch. Watch. And I, and I remember a particular moment where it all sort of came together for me. I'm like, wow. So we're in the kitchen at the ranch and they're doing this pig roast, right? So they're roasting a whole pig, an entire pig. And when you're going to roast a whole pig, I was going to put a picture up on the screen, but I thought having several of you throw up in here would probably not be the best idea. So I did not put the picture up. Thank you, Renault. Uh, but uh, this picture will be burned into my mind forever and ever. So there's this pig on a table and they have to split it open so that they can roast it. And you have to break all sorts of things to do that. So Hope is on top of the table, holding the, the, the pig apart and like pushing things. Cullen, my son, is on the other side of the table with this giant, like, like a, a knife thing, hatchet. I, I don't even know how to describe it. And this giant mallet. And he's like banging down as he's making his way through. And the chef is on the other side of the table, on the table, all three of them. And Brooke is in the back and her face is just like, ah! And, and Cole is just kind of standing there watching this whole thing. Uh, and I took a picture of this moment, like, I mean, just, you know, I, I won't go into it too much, but, you know, stuff everywhere, the hands full of things, and, and I'm like, this is incredible! Look at my kids! Like, they're just, like, they're doing their thing, they, they, they just, it was just awesome, and it's together, and it was wonderful, and then we left from there, and we drove to Dallas, Texas, um, because Hadley lives in Dallas, Texas, one of my other daughters, um, and she's been there for two years, and she's moving back next week. Yeah! I'm saying, which in of itself, I, I, I was sure seven years ago, all my kids would never want to live anywhere near my house again. And so I'm like, they want to come back. Um, so she's moving back. So on our way, we popped through Dallas, Texas to drop Brooke off there for two days, because um, Hadley's lived there for two years and she has her own apartment and everything else. And Brooke wanted to, the last two days, kind of see the apartment again and do some fun stuff with Hadley. And I'm just getting there and seeing her whole life that she's built over these two years and the teacher and this and that. And it's like, oh my gosh, it's incredible. And then while all that was happening, but Hanu didn't come with us on vacation because he's in Costa Rica doing a three-month project with farmers that he's trying to help become more sustainable so he can write his thesis paper for his master's degree in global development this fall. That's why he couldn't come. And Fitzsimti has her cosmetology certification and she's working at a salon and going on missions trips. And Mahadi stayed home to faithfully watch the house, care for the animals, and eat my mangoes. Which, by the way, I think is awesome. I wanted him to. I told him, eat him. And he did a great job. All the animals survived. The plants didn't even die. So I'm like, wow, like what happened? And, and it was just this experience, you know, this experience as, as, a, as an adult now with, with adult and adultish children and just going, oh my gosh, 
Like all this is playing out. They're doing so well. But what was most profound about it wasn't what they were doing and how well they were doing at the different things, each of them in their own way. Cole on the entire travel with us, like just being with him and watching him. He, 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 last year he was this little kid and now he's six foot five and he's this giant. And I'm like, what happened to you? And then watching him at Kennecook just lead out and be a part of small guys. It's like, oh my gosh, all my kids are awesome. But what was really, really incredible is that at each juncture, at each uh, opportunity, it wasn't what they were doing that was so profound. It was that they were thrilled to have Brooke and I in the picture with them and thrilled to have us see because we have strong relationship with our kids. On the, on the trip um, to Kennecook, we were listening to some podcasts. And one of the podcasts we listened to was a podcast about Eugene Peterson. Eugene Peterson, uh, he was the one that, that put together the Message Bible, right? He's written a number of other incredible books. Uh, in fact, that very term we use, a long obedience in the same direction, is, is, is in many, it's one of his books. And, and so Eugene Peterson has, has shaped the, the way we think about the gospel in so many ways. A, a, a brilliant theologian, an amazing man, and a, a man of God. And this podcast was to honor him because he finished well. And when someone finishes well in our world today, like that's something, isn't it? And so it was a beautiful podcast about his life and his work and his ministry. And the podcast was done by his son and the guy that's writing uh, uh, his, uh, what do you call the book that's about someone? Autobiography. autobiography thank you. Uh, it's a moment, a brain moment. So his autobiography. So the, the guy on the podcast had access to all of his journals and then his son was there. And by the way, when, when I say his son, you're thinking like 24-year-old, his son is a grandfather. So his son was talking about his grandson. And I'm like, oh my gosh, this is Eugene Peterson's son, who's a grandfather, talking about his dad. And his dad was his hero. And it was beautiful to, to listen. But he shared this story um, that Eugene Peterson, high introvert and workaholic. Eugene Peterson's dad was a workaholic. And then Eugene Peterson knew that and didn't want to be that. But in the early years of ministry, uh, the church... He gave himself wholeheartedly to the church, the people of the church, and, and wholeheartedly to the opportunities to speak and write and go and teach and do this. So he was absent from home a lot. Absent both in terms of being away, but also absent in terms of getting home, taking work home with him, going in the office, working, working. And his wife and his son, his children, uh, they struggled a great deal with his absence. They did not know that he, uh, this son was sharing, he did not know his dad, but at a distance. And as an adult... He went through therapy because of that absence, the great Eugene Peterson, but not, not, not someone I know. And at one point as an adult, he shares the story in the podcast, uh, he went on a hike with his dad and sat on the top of this mountain and he wrote this letter and he shared this letter with his dad. The therapist had encouraged him to do that. And the letter was just to say to dad, like you were absent. Like, I, I wanted to know you more. I wished I could have known you more, but, but I couldn't and I didn't. And he says in the podcast, his dad just wept and wept and wept on, the, on that rock. And he shared with his son, like, my dad was a workaholic. I, th I thought I had done better. I think I did better, but I, I didn't do enough. I wasn't around enough. And they reconciled on that rock. And, and from that point forward... For, for decades, they've had an incredible relationship. He redeemed because Eugene Peterson made the choice on that rock to say, no more. And so now this grandfather could say, my dad is my hero. Uh, my, my dad, I've known my dad deeply. They've shared many things. They've written books together. But in the early years, 
Eugene missed the boat on that, on that space. And, and as I entered into this vacation space, it was like God was graciously just coming and saying, I, I want you to notice, he used the mango tree, the podcast, and this extraordinary experience of entering my kids' worlds in each space and knowing the ones I wasn't with, what they're up to. It was like God was just whispering, I, I, want, you, I want you to notice a fruit of a long labor. Well, what does that mean? When I was in Monterey, California, as a student ministries pastor, uh, in ministry, uh, starting my ministry career, uh, our first child was born to us, Hadley, uh, who's the one in Dallas, Texas now. And when she was born, I remember uh, in those early months of her birth, uh, having this deep sense that uh, children that are in ministry homes, pa- pastor's kids, missionary kids, you always hear funny stories about like, about, about, like not funny stories, right? Like, like not great stories. Uh, one, those kids often struggle a great deal. They struggle a great deal. And more than struggle, I noticed oftentimes in conversations, if somebody said, I was a pastor's kid or I was a missionary kid, the response would be, oh, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. And I remember thinking to myself, that's not a good response. Like, why, why, why are we sorry? But the reason we're sorry is because there is a complicated reality that comes to that. Oftentimes, kids that grow up in ministry homes, and it's not just ministry homes, but ministry homes have a particular dynamic. Because the work of ministry, of mission, of the church, of being a missionary, uh, feels like such a sacred work, uh, God's work, oftentimes those kids in those homes, they recognize somewhere inside by both their experience and uh, a misguided ideology of what is sacred, that because that's a, a sacred and a godly work, it takes precedent over the home. Dad or mom are absent a lot because ministry has many demands and people need them. And when people need them, it's crisis. And so they've got to get in their lives. You want the pastor around when the stuff is, 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 is hard. And so they weigh a lot. And then opportunities come. This is not just ministry related. This is all of us. We live in a culture that says every time there's an opportunity, you ought to take it because it might never come around again. So we take opportunity after opportunity in our workplaces and our, and our social uh, ladders so that we can stay on top of the game. And those opportunities cost us time, energy, and effort because we think we need to resource everything really well because there's that retirement and college fund coming and the opportunities you never say no. Ministry is the same way. Opportunities. Eugene Peterson had them. Speak here. Do this. Write this book. People need to hear your voice. And in that effort, the kids will often end up where Eugene Peterson's son was. I have a mom or a dad that did great things for God, but they weren't here. And so I made a a decision early on in my journey that um, whatever comes my way in terms of ministry opportunities, I'm going to measure everything against this idea that for two decades of my life, I, I get to be home and then that's it. Then they're adults. And I just, I just don't want that letter, you know? I don't want that letter. And so for the last 20 years, I have guessed. I've said this to many pastors that I've had the opportunity to speak to over the years and ministry leaders and other leaders. I have guessed that if I would just labor and be in the home and do that and be present and let ministry opportunities pass me by and go somewhere else and do something else and say no to traveling and this and that and the next thing and not do the things that all that. And, and, and even with you guys, uh, measure the boundaries well to say I, I'm not available 24-7. I'm just not. I'm, I, we're all in crisis a lot of times, but I'm, I'm, there's, there's boundaries. If I do that, it's going to be pricey for the ministry. It's going to be pricey for the opportunities. It's going to cost me and cost others. But 
I'm going to be someone that my kids know. I just, I thought, if I do that, I bet on the other end of that spectrum, I won't look back and wish it was the other way around. Wish I'd taken those opportunities, done that thing, had that promotion, wrote that book, spoke on that speaking circuit, whatever else. And so I, I chose, along with Brooke, to do that. Eight years ago, when that mango tree was first planted, seven or eight years ago, I had seven teenagers in my home and a 13-year-old that was convinced he was a teenager because he was... No, a 12-year-old. Sorry, 13 is a teenager. A 12-year-old that was convinced he was a teenager, and he may as well have been. So I had essentially eight teenagers in the home. Not that teenagers are bad. Teenagers are awesome. It's one of the great transitions of human life, moving from interdependence and, in, and, and dependence into total independence, right? And so God actually designed teenagers in our teenage stages. Our, our frontal lobe doesn't develop as fast. Our brain surges. Hormones run all over our body, all to push us and shove us into the illogical space of releasing our dependence into independence. You say, what do you mean? I mean, don't you ever as an adult look back and say, remember the days when someone paid your bills, took you wherever you wanted to be, fed you, cooked your meals, did everything for you? What kind of an idiot would leave that life to go and say, I'm going to do it myself? I'll tell you what kind, an illogical human. And so teenagers' brains turn a little illogical and they're like, I'm doing this. It's necessary. But it is a bit of a corruptive space for all of us. And then there's the parent on the other side. Your whole journey until the teenage years has been take care of this kid, uh, feed this kid, watch over this kid, direct this kid, make sure this kid does the right things. And now suddenly they're, they're like, I got this. And you're like, no, you don't. And that dynamic, teenage year dynamic, it's, it's a tricky one. Tricky for the parents, tricky for the kids, tricky for everyone. I had that with, with eight kids in the house. My tree was this big. And I will tell you, between that big and the first year of fruit... Um, my house felt like that tree. It ain't ever going to put a mango out. Like it's growing too slow. It's going to die. A freeze is going to kill it. Something's going to go wrong. My house was crazy. Our life was crazy. It felt like the long labor besides just being home. I mean, work felt like an escape. I was like, just, I want to just go to church where I can be free. <laughs> I know you've never felt that way in your home. And yet through those years, the long labor of just saying, nope, nope, go home, be home, stay home, uh, be around them, do this, raise, push, fight, put, put the fight in. It's for their good. We didn't do it perfectly, Brooke and I, by any means. And all my relationships with my kids aren't all just fun and games right now. Then I, so if, you, if you're like, oh my gosh, Renaud writes love notes back and forth with his eight kids and they love him. So generally there's some of that and then there's a lot of complicated relationship as well, as there always is. So it's, it's not just simple. But this particular moment on this particular vacation, God was just like, see the fruit of a long labor. See the fruit of a long labor. Just pay attention. The mangoes have shown up. And I will tell you, that picture with my kids on the pig and, and that picture of Rahel running around and doing her thing and uh, Cole uh, doing his thing as a leader and thinking about my other kids as I'm texting them all over the world doing their thing. The mangoes are far sweeter than the labor was far sweeter. So it turns out that God, this reality that I discovered on the vacation through this, that, that God actually built this into creation, this, this truth, this principle, that when we labor long and hard for something, it bears fruit. It's built into our bodies. If you labor well with your body, you steward it well, uh, then health is the fruit of that labor. Uh, if you don't, then it's not. Uh, this, the soil, the land is that way. You labor hard on a mango tree and fruit. You don't and uh, no fruit. He's built it into the system. 
but he's also revealed it in his word over and over again. That this long labor that we're in, when it feels overwhelming, when you're in over your head, when you've had enough, when the kids are driving you crazy, the parents are driving you crazy, your spouse is driving you crazy, your friend is driving you crazy, the circumstances have weighed you down for too long, for too hard, for too much. You've done everything you're supposed to do. You've, you've put in all the work. You've gone to God and said, God, what else can I do? And it doesn't feel like there's anything and there's no fruit and there's no nothing. When you're in that space, the tree is this big and it's four years and there's nothing. Or worse, the tree just dropped all its fruit and you're like, what just happened? When you're in that stage of life and all of us will be, many of us currently are, I have my own labors right now that are not fruitful yet. That I'm like, oh, when you're there, God has something to say about that. He has lots to say about that, in fact. In the Old Testament, throughout the Old Testament story, he says, if you trust my word, if you trust my ways, if you trust me, if you meditate on my things, write them on your foreheads and your, and your arms, memorize them, live by them, even when they don't seem to make sense in your culture. If you do that, it will lead to fruit. It will lead to life. It will lead to freedom. Not quickly always, but it will. That's, a, that's an Old Testament story. In fact, in Psalm chapter 1, we see this articulated so beautifully. Psalm 1 uh, is not just a randomly placed psalm. It is actually the opening of the book of Psalms, the journal of David and others. And in Psalm 1, it sort of sets the foundation. As you read the Psalms, here's what I hope the Psalms will create for you and in you. That's what Psalm 1 is. Listen to this. Psalm 1 verse 1, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked. The word blessed there, unique translation, uh, it's not the same word used for the word blessed in some other spaces. The word here can be translated blessed or it can be translated happy. It's almost a better translation, just happy, joyful. Happy is the man or woman. Happy, joyful is the man or woman. Blessed is the man or woman who does not walk in their own way does not trust their own mind, their own stuff, their own ideas, but trusts God instead. Listen, listen. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, the word of God. And on his law, he thinks, he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that heals its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither. In all that he or she does, he prospers. The wicked are not so. They are like chaff that the wind drives away. It's this idea that when we are doing it our way, what is called wicked there, ignoring God and his way, then the fruit falls to the ground, the leaves fall to the ground and it blows away, it rots. But when we trust God and we engage in what God has said, do this, even when we're like, but I've been doing it and it's long and I don't see any, anything coming from it. He's like, no, keep laboring. It is not in vain. Because my promise is that it will bear its fruit in its due time. It will do it. And you have to trust me. And that's what he says. Uh, in, the, in the New Testament, uh, he carries this out. I'm not even going to read in John chapter 14 and 15. Uh, Jesus is at the Last Supper and he's talking with his disciples. And the New Testament version of Psalm 1 is John 15. And he says this, listen, here's how it works. Stay close to me, abide in me. Think of me as a vine and you as branches. And when you stay close to me, where your work is intimacy with me and your trust is in me and you follow me, then what will happen is you will bear my fruit. And what is the fruit of God? Do you know? Do I know? It turns out God actually literally wrote it in the Bible. So you want to know what my fruit is? The fruit of the Spirit 
is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. You put that list together, it is a powerful combination. Can you imagine in our relational dynamics, in our circumstantial encounters, in our resource challenges, if we entered each of those and what was in us and came out of us was love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness and faithfulness and self-control? I can't think of a human problem that wouldn't go away. If you stay close to Jesus, you trust Jesus, you live in him, you meditate on his ways, he will birth his fruit in and through you. That's in scripture, it's a promise. In John chapter 14, uh, Jesus actually writes this. It's, it's kind of crazy. Uh, in, in John um, uh, uh, chapter 14, uh, verse, oh, there it is. In John 14, there it is. Sorry, going to John. <clears throat> John 14, uh, Jesus preemptively speaks to this intimacy that he's going to have with his disciples. And he says this, John 14, verse 15. If you love me, you will keep my commands. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, who the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be with you. Jesus, before he talks about intimacy with him, says this. Do you want to know what's going to lead to obedience, to the meditation and delight in my ways? It's falling in love with me. He's not saying, if you love me, you'll do what I say. That's not what he's saying. In fact, we know that because the very next thing is he says, when you love me, if you will, when you love me, you will delight and want to obey me. But it's still going to be hard, so I'm going to give you a helper. It's beautiful. And then he says, so stay close to me, John 15. Obedience and faithfulness to Jesus live in the same space of falling in love with Jesus, staying close to Jesus, a tree planted by the streams. And when we do that, when we stay close to Jesus and we trust him and we follow him, then we see fruit, fruit born. The reality is that that labor is long, isn't it? It's long sometimes and sometimes short. So God gives us some instruction, or rather, better put, inspiration when the labor feels long and hard and you want to give up and you want to bail on a relational labor, a circumstantial labor, a resource labor, something that's less like, I've, I've done it. Listen to this. First uh, Corinthians chapter 15 uh, starting in verse 55. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brothers and sisters, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Oh, it's a very nice thing to say. It's not in vain. What if it feels like it's in vain? Eight years ago in my house, I'm like, this is in vain. <laughs> Listen to what he says in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 5. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue and virtue with knowledge and knowledge with self-control and self-control with steadfastness and steadfastness with godliness. There is the delighting in his ways, the delighting in his word. And, and godliness with brotherly love and brotherly love uh, with uh, brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective and unfruitful. The promise here is this. You trust God, you live in his ways, then you will be fruitful. Fruit is coming. Now what he does, which is beautiful, is he gives us three options on where we can expect to see some of that fruit. 
three spaces in where the, where the fruit resides, just so that you know if you're looking for fruit tomorrow like I was with my mango tree. Come on, baby, you little, but you can make a mango. And the tree's like, uh-uh, four years. There are a couple of different kinds of fruit. There's a lot of promise in Scripture that some of the fruit is going to show up right here, right now. I was the recipient of getting a clarity of some of that fruit on this vacation. Just kind of seeing and going, wow, it worked. Not perfectly, not wonderfully in every way, but it worked. Sometimes, perhaps even often, our labors here will lead to fruit here and now. That's in Scripture. But sometimes, sometimes, our labors will go on beyond the feeling of the here and now. And this is what he says. Listen to Romans um, chapter 8 in in verse 18. Let me grab these. That way I don't read wrong. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. He says there's a time coming where even if it's beyond the here and now, we will see a glory greater than the labor. Fruit will come. Listen to this. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 16. So we do not lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day, for this light momentary affliction is, uh, is preparing for us, listen to this, an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. I think of Mahari. I, I don't want another mango. I've eaten too many sweet and wonderful mangoes. I can't do another. That is the weight of a glory that cannot be compared. Listen to this. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 6. In this you rejoice, that though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Christ. Here's two things he's revealing to us. One, well, three things, the two new ones. The first one. Will you see some fruit in this lifetime if you are faithfully staying the course in the long obedience? Yes. yes. Is that in scripture? Yes. yes. Is that a promise? Yes. yes. So expect that there will be some fruit. Stay the course even if it feels fruitless right now. Then are there times where the fruit will not be in this lifetime? Yes. yes. What glorious reality of that fruit will be when you see the other side of eternity? The amount of mangoes that make you tired of mangoes. Right? And then... Even though we know that there will be fruit in glory, another fruit of the labor, when the labor does not lead to the fruitfulness of that labor, is fruitfulness in your faith. And he says, know this, rejoice when you are laboring long and there is no seeming fruit, because even then when there is no fruit in what the labor is to produce, there is fruit in the very laboring itself because your faith is being refined. And who wants a greater faith in Jesus and to be more like Jesus? Anybody? I do. And if it means that anytime I'm laboring long, even in what seems like a fruitless effort, it is in me creating the fruit of faith. So he says, rejoice even in seemingly fruitless labor because it's not fruitless ever. Listen to what he says here um, in, the, in the book of, uh, actually, I'm not going to do the book of Hebrews right now. So we'll do that in a second. So when it's all said and done, when it's all said and done, here's what happened to me on this vacation. Between the beauty of the mango tree and the fruitfulness of this year because of a long labor of doing what needed to be done to get the mango tree ready for its fruiting. And a reminder that even the great 
men and women that have changed the world, their bigger weeping is always over the lost opportunities for connection with those they love. Eugene Peterson podcast. And then seeing the fruit of a 20-year labor with my kids that isn't perfect and as much work yet to be done but is, is off to a great start. God used that little vision of fruitfulness in that little labor to remind me that the things I'm laboring today that are still hard, that feel a little more fruitless, that feel like we've been doing this for a long time, relational labors we have in our marriages or parenting, child relationships, friendships, um, uh, enemies, friends, those labors, the, the coworker that's, you know, I just need to, all that, those labors, or the circumstantial labors that feel like long and hard and nothing's changing, where is God, or the resource-challenging labors, those, all those, those that feel long and laborious and no fruit, God whispered and said, what have I said? Keep being faithful. Stay the course. A long obedience in the same direction because the fruit will show up in its due time. You just keep your roots by the stream, Jesus. Keep yourself tied to him and trust his ways even when they don't make sense to you. Do not buy into your own. It inspired me. Stay the course on that. And that's what I hope it does for you today. That whatever your hard labor is currently that you're like, this is too much. It's, it's, I'm done. I, I, we're never going to win. It's going nowhere. It's fruitless. It's stupid. This is done, done. That God might whisper to you and say, shh, I hear you, man. And it, it is all those things. But my promises tell you this. Stay the course. Stay faithful. Trust me in the labor. And its fruit will come. And when it does, if now, it'll be juicy. If in eternity, juicier yet. But when it comes, it'll be the best mangoes you've ever eaten. I will tell you again, seeing my kids and where they're at is the best fruit I've ever eaten of a long labor. And it's just one small labor among many that I'm in. In the book of Hebrews, taking you there now, closing with this, there is a chapter in chapter 11 that speaks to all the men and women, not all, many men and women of faith, and I will tell you, when you read chapter 11 of the book of Hebrews, it doesn't end well for all of them. It ends well for some of them. Mouths of lions get shot and they stand in flames of fire and don't get burned. And we always read those verses like, God will be with me in the fire and I will not get burned. And then the next verse is some of them were torn in two, sawed, killed, crucified. They lived in holes and they were abandoned by everyone. God would never do that to me, would he? <laughs> the point is this. Faithfulness and the long labor of faithfulness can often lead to fruit now and miraculous things now and often lead to difficult struggle and hardship. Now, that, that is part of the deal. But this is what he says. He says, some of them saw the fruit of their labor while on this earth, but for some, they did not realize the promises. But they had their eyes fixed on a land yet to come. And I promise you, when they got there, the mangoes were juicier. And then he says this in response to that chapter, uh, Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, others who have stayed the course and endured the hardship and seen the fruit, let us also lay aside every weight and the sin that clings so closely our way, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Endurance, stay the course, long obedience, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. 
Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. There is our inspiration for staying the course. How fruitful was Jesus staying the course for us in his death? Can I remind you? Peter writes it this way. We are born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We serve a living king who has saved us and borne our sin for us. And we would never have seen that resurrection but for his endurance of that cross. And here's what he says. Look to him. Endure well, my friends. Run the race with perseverance. Endure it well when the labor feels fruitless and long. Just make sure you're laboring for the right things according to God's call on your life, not the wrong things according to your desires for whatever you have. And let us see the fruit come when the fruit comes. I can't wait to enjoy this mango. And every time I eat one of these now, it is not the mangoes that impress me so much, as much as the joy that there are other things in life I'm laboring on right now that I can't wait to see the fruit if I labor God's way trusting him as my firm foundation. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for uh, building into creation the very nature of this principle that if and when we labor well and we labor rightly and we labor according to your word and your principles, that it leads to fruitfulness. Thank you that you didn't just build it into creation but literally wrote it down throughout the Old and New Testament. Trust me, follow me, do it my way, and when it feels long and hard, keep trusting me because it will bear its fruit in due time. For those here in this room and for the areas of my life that I am still laboring yet to see the fullness of fruit, give us the inspiration and strength by your word and by your spirit to labor on, to press in, to stay the course, to trust you and to do it your way versus ours, to take, take your road versus our easier road. And God, I, I do pray that you would show us great fruit here and now. But if not, I can't wait to leave this planet and see a weight of glory that cannot be compared to what is possible in the imagination of mankind. Mangoes bigger and better than we've ever eaten. The fruit of labor. And in the meantime, God, whether it is leading to fruitfulness now or fruitfulness in eternity, would you continue to use the long labor to refine our faith that we might believe more deeply, be more like you, trust you more by the very work the long labor is doing in us. And may we rejoice, as you have said to us, in that long labor insofar as what it is producing. Fruit in us, fruit in others, and fruit in eternity. Give us what we need for that journey, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.